0: Hi, welcome to the Print Spaces regular podcast, Sellout, which is about how you make a self-sustaining career as an artist. There are many ways of doing this these days, and we are talking to people who have done this through every method and a combination of methods so you can understand what is right for you.
1: Some artworks will sell like hotcakes and some won't sell at all. So find out which ones are good. Like for me, I would always recommend that people want to be launching with somewhere between seven and maybe... 12 or 13 artworks max there's like mm-hmm. this window any more than that it's overwhelmed any less than that there's not really a great deal of choice but you might have 20 artworks so how do you thin it down and i really believe in like data is the best way to run a business if you understand what people actually want so share the different artworks just be like here's a poll i'm thinking of doing a store in a couple months i just want to know which one which of these do you want to be involved which ones do you think i should turn into x like and this particular project, I was like, what products do you want me to make? I would do colour versions of the different artworks. But that meant that by the time I launched, all those artworks were like heavy hitters. So use those earlier months or weeks or whatever it is for you to work out what it is. But then also people, your fans are like, invested they've been part of the creation of this store they've made decisions and helped you
0: that's cat matching cat is one of the most successful sellers who uses creative hubs dropshipping service. She decided after a successful but unfulfilling career in the video games industry to become a full-time artist with a self-sustaining career. However, what's really important is that she didn't set out to make that leap at the start. She set an achievable goal which she surpassed and then she set another step on that journey. It seems that each moment she surpassed her own expectations and this gave her the confidence to move on to the next step anyone who's worked in the tech industry who has read the lean startup will recognize this approach however with Kat this felt like it was just the right way to do it we start off the interview looking at Kat's background and then we go much deeper into her approach about how she runs her art career there are a couple of sketchy moments with the connection but stick with it they only last for a few seconds. Kat is one of the most knowledgeable artists I've ever spoken to about how to run your own art career. I learned so much from a talk and I hope you do too. If you enjoy these talks, please do me a favour. Just share it with one person who you think might benefit from it. Welcome Kat and it's nice of you to join us. I wanted to begin by asking you a question about why you love making work about space and what the journey's been like doing that
1: firstly I would say this space is the best that's why (laughs) So look I often get that question like why don't you do like portraits or abstracts or all of that kind of stuff and it's because to me artwork is there's part there's two parts to it right and most people get this super confused there's the craft which is a skill in which to produce and then the art to like the meaning like the message you're trying to get across, whatever that might be. Now, sometimes the message that you're trying to get across is, look how incredible human ability is, because I've done this like super detailed, fine artwork, right? And then it's like photorealistic. Sometimes that's the message that people are getting. But for me, it's like all of that world's into comparison by this one question, which is why does anything exist? And I get those questions always come to me when I'm looking at space. For instance, it's like you never look up at space and think, oh, did I leave the oven on <laughs> you don't like you look at the amazing vast expanse of stars? Because in every single direction right now, at in almost infinite distances, space like below you, if you went through the ground and through the earth out there, almost infinite distances. Is space, stars, and galaxies and nebula are literally surrounding us at all points of the day, and yet it is something that basically no one thinks about. And yet it's like the it's like the largest part of what even exists is not in our little microcosm or the little the minutia of daily life. It's out there, but that always raises the question: How did it all get here? And I think there's like these two schools of thought, right? There's like the kind of religious approach, which is and then there's the scientific approach and both are right. Like it depends on who you are and what you think. But there's a fundamental issue with both, which is give me one miracle and I'll explain the rest. The miracle just happens to be the creation of all matter and energy and time and space and everything else I'll explain. So whether it's because I'm always like, what came before God? What came before the Big Bang? Like, how do you explain all this? Because logically, nothing should be here and yet here Mm. we are so I like to uh, paint space because for me it's that I'm just so dumbfounded like nothing like we shouldn't even exist and not just humans but like everything all the matter and energy that makes up our bodies or the things that we're sitting on or the devices we're watching this on none of this should really exist if you're thinking about it logically and I'm so fascinated by that question I can't help but paint space (laughs)
0: So as you're painting this, are you sort of contemplating constantly this vastness and this scale and this uh, all these questions? It's
1: baffling, isn't it? And it, it's just... the mo- I used to sit... It's a bit weird, really, but I used to sit when I was a little kid and look out my window in a little village in Stoke-on-Trent and I would look out and I would ask the question... I'd be like, where do all these trees and all this matter and energy come from? I don't know what's put that question in me, but I'd be like five years old or six years old looking out my window... All the cars going past thinking like, huh, I wonder how all this got here. You know what I mean? And it's never left me.
0: (laughs) So when was the moment that you decided to make a career out of painting? Obviously, it's a fascination from space, came from very young. But when did you realise you could actually make a career out of painting space?
1: I've only been painting for six years. I'm super new, I suppose. I spent my whole life avoiding being an artist, which I've obviously failed miserably at the emotions because <laughs> i feel like this is true of so many artists i think we're often told to get a real job and it's done in it's done in love it's done because you know, people are trying they don't want to see you starve <laughs> they spend all this time protecting you stopping you from dying they want you to have the best chance at life so i had this really early opinion that artists were failures it was just something that was told over and over again and that they don't contribute. There's no real purpose, or whatever it is, which is an opinion, and everyone's entitled to an opinion. But life without art would be pure misery. Everything would be vacant, vacant object, objects. Everything would be bland. There'd be no texture, no passions, no intricacies, no literature, no films, no music, no culinary. It would just all be bland porridge. Would be every day, <laughs> right? So. I realise now it it took a long time to get here. And actually it took years of being a successful artist before I even called myself an artist, which is crazy. And even now if I feel guilty producing artwork because it's always often seen as like a hobby. It isn't, it's my whole life, (laughs) this is all I do. But even I feel guilty, which is bananas. But I think the earliest memory of me like really loving artwork My brother's eight years older than me, and he he taught me how to draw and to sketch, and we went through that, and uh, him being much older, he was going through his Terminator phase. So for him, he was, and I, in the UK, for people that obviously aren't in the UK, like when you're in school and it rains, like you don't play outside, you do it, you go inside and you draw or you use the computer of which when I was little, there's probably only a couple of computers and they were like green screens and they were very old fashioned. But you, I would draw and I drew this thing and I, I remember it was it was a mechanized robot with like big like, shoulder pads and it was holding up human, severed human head with a spine hanging down with blood dripping down, which is pretty intense for a small child to be drawing. But it was super cool anyway. I ended playtime, scrunched it up, threw it in the bin, And then my teacher then, her name was Mrs. Cherry. And she called me into her office and she was holding this crinkled picture of a robot decapitating a human. And she said, did you draw this? And I was like, i done for. I'm going to get in so <laughs> much trouble. Like I was really like the good girl. Like I just never really mis- misbehaved. And I was terrified and I was like, yeah, I did, I did draw that. <laughs> and she was like, wow, because you know what? The shading is really good on this. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I think that was like one of those early moments when you receive praise as a kid mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, oh, I can do this. And I feel like that self-belief never left me, but it was squashed down by this, don't do artwork. Right. So I spent my whole life avoiding it up until really recently.
0: What made you come back to it? And at what point did you realise, actually, I could make a career out of this?
1: I went into engineering and I became a video game developer. And I, because I was like, how can I be creative? But I still refuse to call myself an artist. I call myself a technical creative, which is awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I did that and I was miserable because actually what I was doing was denying reality. Reality was that I was just built to be a creative artist and I thought I'm miserable at the bottom maybe if I get to the top I'll be really happy so I did that thing where you climb the corporate ladder over a decade and I got all the way to the top became project lead and executive producer for games which is insane levels of workload like it's it was extraordinary everyone would be able to go home but I wouldn't and At the end of every game, there's this period called crunch, which is where everything's broken and you've got to fix launch date and you've got to get it working for that specific time. And it was a moment where I was like sleeping under my desk because I'd worked so long that I couldn't drive home. I would have killed myself on the road. I was that exhausted. And I woke up because like, the lady had come in to vacuum the floor, and I was like, Ugh, like startled, and I got bits of crap stuck to my face, and I just was had this like soul crushing moment. Because I was like, what am I even doing? Like, what am I really doing right now? I didn't, and don't get me wrong, I understand the importance of video games. I've spent my whole life building them. But for me, I was like, I am not helping anyone improve their lives. I'm just mm. distracting them from really making the true progress that they need. And I understand everyone needs a break, of course. And that's why video games are good. And they teach skills and all this other jazz. But to me, in that moment, I was like, what am I even doing? benefiting society here i am pathetically lying under a desk stressed the fuck i haven't eaten properly in months i haven't i've barely been home i stank like shit probably because i probably hadn't had a shower for a while (laughs) i got bits of crap stuck to my face i i looked like an absolute mess. i probably looked like a living zombie and i was like what am i doing and i think everyone has that moment most Mm. and if you haven't had that moment You're either doing the thing that you're destined to do or if you're not, it's coming. And I call it the itch, which is that moment where you're like, at some point I'm going to die. And is this going to be the thing that I'm forever remembered for? But for me, I was like, I literally just got to the top of the ladder because I thought that's what you were meant to do. And now I was overqualified for everything. I couldn't go in a lower job. Because I was now overqualified, and it's a flight risk. If you're a business trying to hire someone, you don't want to hire someone overqualified because you know they could leave for a better job, and that's truth. So I couldn't go back into the games industry, something I'd spent ten years building. And I thought, wow, I've lost everything. I really did feel in that moment I'd lost my whole life. And did you know like,
0: what you to do though? At that point, did no. you? I mean, <laughs> when you left, you just left because you knew you didn't want to do that but you weren't Um, quite sure what you wanted to
1: do. I wasn't sure, but one thing I had made clear to myself was I've already lost everything, so I might as well do the things that make me happy. Mm. And actually, that was the biggest breakthrough. And The funny thing is that I truly believe that nervous breakdowns or like having some massive breakdown is probably one of the best things anyone could have as long as they can then use it as a line in the sand to say, I can't go back to that. I've got to move forward. Mm. Um, However, (laughs) people can actually change their lives before having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) I just haven't been able to work out how that's done yet. (laughs) You don't necessarily have to leave it to the breaking point to change. But then I was like, what am I doing? What do I do? I started a company cleaning. I was scrubbing people's toilets for a living. And I was also doing the accountancy work for like my then partner's business. And but I was again, I was miserable, but I watched this amazing TED talk called Draw Your Future by Patty Debraski. It's about draw a little crappy stick figure of where you are and a crappy stick figure of where you'd like to be. And I just drew a picture of me painting. Strangely enough, it was a picture of space. And I literally set out with this simple ambition to just actually that's a lie. I was going to draw a picture of me having an exhibition, but I thought, calm down. You don't know how to paint. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you should learn that first. So I drew a picture of me standing next to an easel and that became my North Pole. That was my North Star. That's where I was heading. And then I just started putting stuff online and then people were like, oh, this is really good. But can you please just make your own page? Because I am fed up with having to sift through your cheeky photos of food and pictures of art. Can we just have art in one place? So I was like, sure. So I built my Facebook page and it grew quite quick I'd before that I'd been a DJ and like I was still DJing all at that point so it was like I had a tiny weenie like teeny following of like maybe one or two thousand people from that 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 so I was known to a bunch of people that then came over to look at the art but they weren't space fans they weren't art fans they just were like supportive people god bless them and after a bit they were like you know what you should have an exhibition and I was like oh I should have an exhibition I was going to write that down and I had this like really simple goal which was fill a room with space and alcohol and let's all get drunk and talk about space and that's how my art business became successful was a simple ambition to get my friends drunk.
0: And I think there's a sort of lesson in there as well which is you started painting the thing you were really passionate about, and we often promoting that people should maybe read this book by Simon Sinek called "Start with Why." Yes, if you are at that point in your career where you don't know where to go, and it, you might already have embarked in your art career and you're not, you haven't made that breakthrough, or maybe you are where you were in mm. a sense of not quite sure what you want to do, then it just says that to me, that book, it says that everything that you're ever going to be successful in is driven by the things you truly love. And they are very core to your personality. And they're they're things maybe you've thought about since you were a kid. And then the challenge is to find, how do I make that support me? So it sounds like that you took that plunge without actually knowing, okay, is this going to work? But you were just at that point where I'm just going to do this because I have to.
1: I was so miserable, honestly. I was so depressed. I can't even explain the depths of depression <laughs> beforehand. And look, I, mean, I just don't think, I think a lot of people don't talk about that. They just see the glitz and the glam. <laughs> they don't see the really hard times that people go through. But yeah, look, here's the thing. Part of the reason why it was successful is because I was invested in the process rather than the results. I realise now that had I have drawn a picture of an exhibition rather than me standing next to a painting, it would not have worked. Actually, it was like the steps that I needed to take as a habit. The habit was just once a week for three or four hours, I would go and paint. That was literally it. And I did that for six months before I produced this first campaign, which I launched on Kickstarter. Because for me, I was like, all right, the mission is And also, this other mission, which was like to get my friends drunk. And it's a simple thing. But if your goal is, I want to make a hundred thousand pounds or a hundred thousand dollars, it's terrifying. (laughs) And what if you fail? Like for me, what if I fail? My friends would be sober, and there's probably worse things they've been.
0: (laughs) but absolutely i think yeah you, you really know that they're in a the sense of you you're invested in the passion and the process and the measures of success whether that's following whether that's making a sustainable living out of it they're just byproducts they're byproducts yeah. of the process and the passion. you were talking about kickstarter how did that go
1: the way that we i wanted to fund this process of having this big old space party was through kickstarter which honestly is so amazing and i think that it's a great platform to use like print space along with i i wish i had that service when i was doing it because i did everything myself and it was a nightmare <laughs> so, not the selling part it was really just the manufacturing and the logistics was a nightmare but i had this now issue where it was like I am eight or well, six months out from having a high paid executive job and I've got to put on this event and I want to put on this a- exhibition, right? I would love to do that. So I thought I'll try and raise $4,000. It'll pay for the prints and then there'll be money left over to hire a room, fill it with space and alcohol. And but I, I was physically sick before I launched that. I thought no one, no one's going to buy really. But what I did was I just literally was, I did a video that was just pure passion I didn't really talk about like the marketing aspect. I just talked about how m- amazing space is. And I'll be honest, those first artworks were pretty garbage. <laughs> they, were <not> good. <laughs> they weren't that great. They were pretty terrible. Like Often people show me their first set of artworks and I'm like, wow, that's way better than when I started. But the reason why artwork is important is because when you look at it, it reminds you of the mission and the purpose. Like it reminds you of the story of the person's told you, because every time they looked at that slightly crappy picture of space, they just remembered how passionate I was about it and reminded them to be passionate about it. And that's why people wanted it. Um, you know, we, I lived in a cul-de-sac at the time and no one, so everyone in that area was like, it's kind of like one of those like neighborly kind of units, like no one was there that wasn't meant to be. So we'd go and we'd put out the bins or the trash and everyone would be like, What how are you doing with the Kickstarter? Oh, I think it's gonna get to twenty thousand and then thirty thousand and then forty and then fifty and then it finished at seventy thousand dollars in 30 days. And I was like, That's incredible. <laughs> I was I had no idea that it was even possible. And I realized that Whilst a lot of it might have been love, I think also I picked up a lot of launch skills from launching video games, and actually being a DJ and putting on events. There's a lot to be said for just being able to put yourself out there and do it. But for me, the failure point was really low. It was just an incredible success. Obviously, the fulfilment and logistics was then a nightmare because at the time I was also like I'm was I'm very ADHD. And I was undiagnosed, <laughs> and unmedicated and untreated at that point. So trying to do the, met- the meticulous cutting and packing and shipping and all that kind of stuff. Oh. Mm. Anyway, there's things that you're meant to be, and there's things you're not meant to be. And doing prints for me was like not what I was meant to be doing. <laughs> when, and I was like, like now it, it would be—it's so easy to launch stores. And just thinking about how much of a nightmare that was, getting myself to this do all of that just like the meticulous repetitive work I just struggled massively with so the second one I was like all right that first new year's resolution of starting to paint was good so this new year's resolution was like let's paint really big because that's a that's the only new year's resolution I could think that would be better so the following year I bought this massive canvas four meters by two meters like six and a half by 13 feet huge like a bloody wall and, and I was like, I wasn't sure what to do with it. I just bought the canvas and I was pondering on it. And then I got this phone call from my brother who was in the US and he was devastated. And my brother, he's like my best friend. He was the guy that taught me how to draw in the first place, really. And he's devastated because he really wanted to go to this rocket factory. But you could only go in if you were an American citizen, because most rocket factories are ITAR. So it's military grade operations. And I was like, I'm going to get him in. <laughs> How am I going to do that? And then I looked at this giant canvas and I looked and I thought about it for a second. I thought I'm going to paint for the person that owns this big rocket company and I'm just going to paint something and I'm going to ship it to them. And that's how I'm going to get it in. I didn't really know who I was painting for, which now I think if I knew I probably would be a bit more nervous but anyway for me again like the failure point was really low it's the point wasn't like i'm going to paint for this said billionaire the point was i'm going to get my brother into the factory and i just wanted to give him the most amazing experience of his life and the worst case scenario of me failing would be just he doesn't get a tour no big deal so it wasn't something that i was like am i gonna do it it's whatever just do it Because if you fail whatever doesn't matter and i realized that, that is was so but like i didn't understand the bent, the importance of setting goals in that way, um, it's amazing. So I got this low point of failure, so I painted, I was about to paint it, but I thought, I don't know if they really want it. It's a big painting, it's probably going to take me months to do. They should probably check if they want it first. And I didn't realise how ballsy a move this was, but it was very ballsy. <laughs> so anyway, I photoshopped a picture of it, this space, The because I, I knew exactly, I was this galaxy called NGC3190, Which doesn't mean a lot, but I don't know if you've ever had a, when the old Apple Macs had that Galaxy as a wallpaper,
0: Mm.
1: it was that one. I wanted to paint that specific, because that's a real Galaxy. I want to paint that one. And I was like, okay, so I photoshopped. I took a photograph of the delivery truck drivers taken off the truck. And it looked because it, it was so big it had to be moved in a furniture removal van this big canvas and I photoshopped it I took a photo of them like carrying it out and then I, I took a photograph of it and then I just emailed them but I didn't have emails because who has an email of said person right so wow. I emailed their one below the C C O O of this said rocket rock company and I said hey I've paid you this picture. I just love everything that you do. Just, I, I would love to drop it off. Just let me know where and when. And obviously I had to guess the email. I was like, blah, 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 at blah, blah, blah. And 50 or so failed attempts later, I got a message back that was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. I've just got to figure out where to put it. And I was like, I'm in. But then it hit me. Oh like, damn, I'm going to idiot me. Photoshopped a real photograph of a real galaxy. <laughs> onto this damn canvas. Now I'd been painting for a year and a half, probably a little less at that point. Now I had to go, because I could mix a purple, right? But now I had to mix the exact shade of purple and lay in the exact position on this canvas <laughs> to match the picture that I'd sent them. Whew, so that was a trial by fire. And actually that, that upped my ability so much i can't even put into words that was the biggest strongest upscaling because i was not about to fail because i had got this opportunity now to send my take my brother into this factory so that he could look at the rockets a thing that he'd been passionate about his whole life anyway i did the painting it looked amazing but it was like I think 10 weeks out before we were due to fly I was going to fly to the UK for a few weeks and then fly to the US and I was going to just ship the artwork directly to the US to get it framed so that however I touched the canvas and it was still wet I couldn't fly with it and everything about this canvas was unique all the stretcher bars everything was like custom made I, there was not time to get another canvas and then re like I had to wipe that canvas back and paint it again but with fast drying paint yeah wow. it was insane so I did that first painting in let's say five months I did the second one in three two weeks maybe three wow. weeks wow. So one week for clearing the canvas and two weeks of painting and there's this really and it turned out great it turned out really good but it was very emotional for me because a it was the best painting I'd ever done b I was not entirely sure I could pull this off but I just had to because there was no way I was turning up with no painting and then c it was like I I, at the time also my granddad had just passed away so I was like scraping it back with these rags that were like soaked with automotive thinners these, and it, i had to tape all the windows up in that particular room and the door because the smell was just going in I had to have this like full like respirator but I was like crying because like I was super emotional wiping back this beautiful painting and then the passing of my grandfather and it was just i it was all it was just probably very intense and i then got had to go through and I couldn't mourn the loss of this artwork I just had to go straight into it. I've never painted so fast in my life. <laughs> and it turned out better, actually. Funnily enough, it's amazing what a bit of pressure will
0: do. Yeah, no, totally. And actually, pressure is a really, it's an amazing story, by the way. But that pressure is a really important part and having those deadlines, isn't it? Because mm. you had that in the games industry, you had it with this painting. And also, you do a lot of time sales as well. Right. So you work up to a certain date where you know you're going to have to have everything ready by. And do you think that's really important to have that kind of date to work to? Because otherwise you might always just come back and say, yeah, but I could make that improvement or I could make this improvement. And you never get there.
1: I think there are honestly two... They're just different types of people. And I think people have to just... Because for some people, that practice of just every day, I do this routine and the routine involves do this little bit of painting, do this little bit of editing, do this thing, and then there's a finished piece and then I will upload it, whatever. And they've got this just almost like this pipeline of how they produce their pieces and they're just... They do it diligently and monotonously and it just worked really well for them. That is not me. <laughs> that isn't me. I just, I wish it was me, but it's just not. And it's, I realized that it's okay because everyone has a thing that will work for them. But it's like this whole thing. Like if you judge a fish by how well it climb, climbs a tree, it will forever think it's stupid. And in the same way for me, I have to have those deadlines and uh, it's not, and also it has to be a publicly acknowledged deadline because if it's just me on my own, I'm like, yeah, I've got it. This done by next week. Next week comes, not so like, this like pressure, but also. It has it's to
0: like, be you, fear of public shaming <laughs>
1: oh, I love a bit but it's like what what works for you so for me I like to take people on the journey so I will literally and this is just so important for any launch of anything even if you're doing a consistent monotonous thing whatever it is it's tell people this is what's coming in a few months time. Even if it's like just adding in an additional artwork, whatever, to your already existing catalogue, that's fine. Tell them it's coming. Take them through the process of it being developed show them what works show them what doesn't work show build excitement about it and then coming up to the launch sharing all the behind the scenes just get really involved and really passionate and talking about what you're making and then when you launch it will always be so successful for me I think the one thing about artwork so there are people that with most things it's like art in in some senses is an optional item it's you're not going to die no one's going to die if they don't have a piece of artwork on their wall they might not be inspired or they might not have a play, a beautiful place or they might not have something that brings them joy but they're not going to die from it and the things that people generally speaking it just the world today is very intense people are just non-stop in zoom meetings and traffic jams in in like bundles and bundles of notifications and emails and overwhelm and, and it never stops right because people always have their phones on them so it's always with them so people are exhausted we're all bloody tired so the problem is it creates such this level of mental fatigue that when people come to buy prints they come to buy artwork Um, the problem is then it's like they come to do it they sit down Oh, which artwork should I have? What size should it be? And oh, these are these too many decisions? I will think about it tomorrow, but then tomorrow never comes. And that's what happens when you often have artwork there for, if you're buying it as a gift for someone, there is a specific deadline. And of course, that's different for everyone. Mm. But if you wanna, that's why, you know, exhibitions, it's like a moment in time to say, this is the moment to do the thing, to think about the thing. And sometimes you need that cutoff for people actually like me really. Also, Mm. it's like, I've always wanted this thing and now it is here. It is a choice of, do I want it or not? And if I do want it, I have to make that decision now. So that tiny little bit of, but also one of the things I love is that I like that idea that when those pieces are gone, I don't bring them back. If I bring them back, they'll be different. And it, it creates this level of rarity in artwork because also, as much as it's meant to be inspiration, we want to create pieces that are assets. There are artists, an asset class that appreciates as time as you do as an artist, if it's an infinite asset. And this is the sad thing about art, of course, mm-hmm. is that of course, when artists die, their value goes up. But the reason isn't because they're dead. It's because there is a capped supply and there's no more that could be ever made. So having these moments when things are specifically said, it's sent out, it's like this is the moment and you can be involved or not. And it's fine. So that's why I like to do it like that.
0: OK, so I think you touched on something also really interesting there because you were talking about how and I know you do this because always looking at your Instagram feed and your TikTok and so you talk about this the works right from the inception to the production to the things that don't work to the things that do work and I've actually noticed myself that when I need something and I buy something and I do it really quickly because as you say we're all really busy and we have limited amount of time and I do it really quickly I quite often regret that but when I actually spend a long time thinking about it, especially with like creative kind of purchases, a bit of art or something. And I really think about, oh, yeah, which one do I really like? Then when I find it, it's almost like I subconsciously land on what I really love. It's not a, like a conscious thought process. But because you've been showing this for a long time before it's even available, People have a chance to go through okay. that and get an emotional attachment to one of your works, basically.
1: hundred percent. I say this all the time. Someone needs to see their artwork at least 30 to 35 times before they can commit. It's like saying, it's like falling in love, right? That's what artwork is. But imagine if you just met someone and it's time to get married. and You're like, "Whoa, oh, all right, calm down. You know what I mean? Going on a first date, like with a wedding dress on. It's like that. when you don't do it. That's not how it works. And offering people artworks, these pieces, like emotional pieces, whatever they are, is just like that. It's not, bam, here it is, just buy it right now. Give people a moment to explore, to see, to understand so that by the point when it is, okay, now is the time to make the decision, they're already connected. They already understand. They've had time to rationalize whether they want, do or don't want something. So it never becomes like something that they would necessarily regret, but it's something that it's like, oh, I've built a connection with this piece over this huge period of time. And now it's I've got it. The part of the story of it.
0: I think it's like an album actually. I'm thinking of an analogy here. Often when I hear an album that I really love,
1: yeah.
0: The first song that I really love and the one that I play on repeat (laughs) constantly actually doesn't tend to be the one that really like after listening to it for a year. You find different nuance in different tracks and so I think that like art can be the same. And I think that's why, because it's really important that when someone buys something that they really have that deep, long lasting connection, mm. with it. they're going to be looking at it every day. So I think by you showing that process, people are able to do that and they're really able to develop those connections. But do you find that what do you find is like the optimal time span? to be able to do that? Because you don't want it too long because people like maybe switch off because it's like, oh God, that's not going to be available for three months. Forever, yeah. What's the timescale?
1: So I would say like an optimum timescale is usually about six weeks. However, it could be done as much as two weeks before launch. Those final two weeks are usually the most important weeks. And as long as you have those last two weeks, you can make this process work for you. Like it's worth holding back artwork just for a couple of weeks, just to drip feed and share and get people really excited. However... It's actually fine, even if, like, some of my most successful launches have been launches over four months. In fact, actually, this latest launch was actually technically over six. However, it's like this. It's like the beginning parts of that launch isn't every day like, bam, it's coming. It's a very gentle whisper. It's like getting people like at those very beginning stages, my recommendation is because here's the thing out of, let's say 20 artworks, some artworks will sell like hotcakes and some won't sell at all. So find out which ones are good. Like for me, I would always recommend that people want to be launching with somewhere between seven and maybe 12 or 13 artworks max. There's Mm -hmm. like this window, any more than that, it's overwhelm. any less than that. There's not really a great deal of choice. you might have 20 artworks so how do you thin it down and I really believe in like data is the best way to run a business if you understand what people actually want so share the different artworks just be like here's a poll I'm thinking of doing a store in a couple months I just want to know which one which of these do you want to be involved which ones do you think I should turn into x like on this particular project I was like what products do you want me to make you want me to make prints I did like blankets puzzles like comfort did a bunch of different products as well as like the prints that went along with it so it's like asking people like which are the designs how do you want do you prefer this or this like I would do color versions of the different artworks but that meant that by the time I launched all those artworks were like heavy hitters it wasn't just like a Mm. bunch of if I launched with 20 artworks and let's say 12 of them were like (laughs) right and then there was just a few great ones those really ones that just take mental processing to like filter out for most people so use those earlier months or weeks or whatever it is for you to work out what it is but then also people your fans are like invested they've been part of the creation of this store they've made decisions and helped you they chose everything for me from the names of the artworks to the name of the store all the way through to which artworks went in what kind of products color variations of which artworks like the people that follow me made so many decisions and that's what you should use those earlier stages for but also throughout this whole process is just build your email list build your email list build your email list Mm. the longer you can take that for the better but again it's not like you're posting every day about it you might post maybe once or twice a week at the very beginning and it ramps up as it goes those last two weeks it's like pretty intense that last few days is like Like, come on (laughs) so you can start minimum two weeks maximum probably like four months i would say
0: okay when it's it's interesting because when you say there that you actually get your followers involved in, in, in quite a lot of the creative process, quite a lot of the sort of choices. I've actually heard, I did an interview with a photography professor, and he said something very similar about doing photographic projects in the sense of start putting it out there on Instagram and see whether there's a market for it. And then, because you might be shooting this for six months, and the last thing you want to do is get to the end of that six months and go okay nobody was that interested or this is really niche or something but then again I would imagine that goes against the nature of mate of of way a lot of people think about art that is you have to be screened away behind closed doors and then you come out of this sort of master selection at the end would you advise other people to adopt this approach if you didn't adopt this approach would you find that your sales would be like significantly lower, for example.
1: I've done launches where I've not really shown a lot pre-launch. And then it's just really hard for people to feel emotionally invested in things before on the day of launch. It's just, it just hits them all. Oh, I didn't know this was out of the blue. You don't want people to feel like that. But I would say there's also this... There is an aspect to how you present your work in progress, because there is a thing where you don't necessarily want to remove all mystery from it. And there's Mm. also a part of it where you don't want to, because here's the thing, most artwork looks like utter crab for most of its (laughs) elements, right? And it does until almost like this finishing part where it starts to come together. And it's, I have a lot of that. (laughs) And I'm just like, but it's like finding the shots or the sections. And what's important at those really early stages is not necessarily, you don't want to, you want to be showing some of the artwork or showing some of the process, but the things, if I showed you two objects and they were looked similar, but let's say one was just like made on a machine and the other one was like handcrafted. Like when you see the process of it coming together, people really appreciate the labor, the details that you've put in that no one would ever know about like at the beginning I was doing these paintings right and they started out 12 by 12 but now they were like 104 inches wide the king comforters and also doing like these 12 by 12s these massive I think we did 30 by 30 inch prints right and it's like a tiny speck of dust which you cannot notice on an artwork magnified to that level looks horrific in in print however it's put forward so it's like showing people like the meticulous detail of fixing these things the things that they don't realize but when they look at those art pieces they mean so much more because they're like wow a lot of time and care has gone into making that so there is this balance you don't want to remove all mystery you don't want to set it in a bad light but truthfully the number one thing missing from online is trust. We don't trust what we see. We don't have this connection. We don't believe people are authentic anymore. And in particular ones that are all done behind closed doors, like it is so much easier to connect to a process when you know a little bit more about it. I do also agree that there probably could be too much or too oversharing. It is a fine line. Honestly, it's only one that you can discover where that line is by trial and error.
0: I think that the trust thing is a really huge thing because I guess... It's different if previously in the past would would have gone to an exhibition to buy artwork or an art fair mm. or something. You get to meet the artist, you get to communicate in a very different way, obviously, with them. And then, but the, then there's also that thing. Of, so obviously this builds the trust, but also then there's that thing of, and I think this is probably why Kickstarter is such a great idea, because... There's that thing of, I actually contributed to this in some way. I yeah. made it happen. And there's, that's a really nice feeling when you back something on Kickstarter and then it ends up to be this huge product.
1: But also, and even more, now that we're seeing this advent of AI artwork, it's it's like people want to know it's not necessarily done with a click of a button, but it's done through labor and it actually people appreciate it more, but we are going to have to be more and more focused on showing people process and getting people involved and getting people to really appreciate the details of those kind of decisions that we make on day to day when we're producing these beautiful pieces and getting people emotionally invested in the process because obviously AI has created this democratization of skill. So anyone, regardless of training can now produce stuff. So it's like, Showing people the process is now more important than it ever has been.
0: And I guess telling your why, because an AI doesn't have a a why, really. It's a model that's based around layered statistical model, but it didn't set that agenda. It didn't say, I'm going to turn myself into an artist. So social media gets vilified a lot, and for certain reasons, quite rightly. But it also helps you to communicate that why, doesn't it? It helps you to communicate Mm. that sort of... Okay, you started thinking about this when you were five years old and looking looking up at the stars, and that is something that is important when you have that print or that canvas yeah. on your wall because you, it's so much more than just a picture. It's it's a whole it's a whole lifetime of fascination behind it.
1: I would say that like with a lot of the air art, people are they still have the person producing it probably has some meaning and some purpose and behind it and it makes them not artists but art directors and Mm -hmm. I understand they're prudent and I think that's useful for a lot of people but yeah it's the what we are not making wall decorations Contrary to what people make, we're making little pieces of art that inspire or convey the message, whatever that message is. So the message is actually more AI can produce the craft, but it can't produce the art. The art is the meaning behind it. Uh, the meaning is everything. And, and I don't, like, it's a funny thing because I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's so pretentious, like fancy words. It's just a vehicle in the same way that a novel is a vehicle or a music pieces or a poem is a vehicle. It's a vehicle for a message. What the message is the artwork. So it's like, when you don't have a process to get that message out, all it is a wall decoration. And you don't want to be making those things because ultimately you're just competing with the lowest common denominator. You're competing with Wilko's or Target or Kmart or wherever you are in the world, just an Amazon special, which is just some knockoff artwork, right? It's like you're not we're, we're not in this game to compete against wall decorating decorations. We're mm. not here to compete about that stuff. We're here to spread something that's really important message, whatever that is. And ultimately the message doesn't have to be like. It's funny because, like, sometimes we're compelled to do stuff and uh, we don't really know why we are. And um, and I'm sure probably Ian told you this story in his podcast, but it's like this concept of purpose, right? And uh, this the story between Lance Armstrong, who is obviously now a disgraced cyclist, and Tony Hawk. At the time, Lance Armstrong had just was recovering from cancer, had was giving charity donations, sending kids that couldn't afford to hospital, all that kind of jazz. And Tony Hawk was like, man, I'm just a dude that likes rolling around on some wheels. I I wish I had a big grand purpose. You're here doing all this stuff for helping kids and cancer. And like, Lance Armstrong was like, are you kidding? He was like, you, what you've done is inspired a whole generation of kids to go out and physically exercise. You've inspired a whole generation to do that. And. Obesity is the number one cause of mm. childhood cancer. Mm. So you probably saved more kids from cancer than I ever will do. And like he had this oh my god moment, right? Mm. And then he, from that day onwards, the way that he went about putting putting out the content and also the the message behind what he was doing was so different. <laughs> so it's like that in the nutshell Sometimes you are complete artist to do something they don't really understand know why but the why is there you just sometimes have to do the digging work to uncover it
0: yeah or someone can help you as well someone because you up know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably got some time on his hands now so yeah i think sometimes we're so close to it that mm. we don't really understand what connects the dots with everything we've done in our lives but yeah. generally there are some sort of personality driven sort of reasons for why we do what we do and they come back to early experiences and things like that so I think yeah definitely if people don't really can't connect those dots then they could always talk to someone about it or someone you know they trust that knows them and so say look I make this work and this is why I got into it and someone else might easily be able to say at least ask the questions that prompt the realization maybe you know that sure. Of what their why is if I did a I did a one of the themes that sort of I think as I've noticed from Ian was my first podcast and this is my ninth and what I've started to notice something very common for, throughout all of I'm talking to people like yourself like Ian everybody I've spoken to they have become incredibly successful have huge followings that are mind-boggling really when you think about the number of people that are following them have created sustainable art careers and are following their passion now the other thing that connects them is that they most of them if not all of them have some kind of formal training or background in some kind of marketing or launch or something like that So. It's starting to make me think that, do you think that maybe photographers, artists who want to embark on this should systematically actually go out and try and learn this stuff? Or should you just learn by experience?
1: Like I learned by experience because I have no formal marketing training and actually neither does Ian. We both learned from YouTube and like articles because that's the beautiful thing. And also this really important thing is that it's a vastly fast changing landscape. What worked for marketing even 12 months ago is not working today and you have to keep on top of things all the time. All of these platforms have, it's like they all have... Like the current zeitgeist of like how you're meant to do stuff, right? They all have this like process or this nuance that changes, this meta that changes, right? Mm-hmm. So I love this process called the ten ten method, and Gary V is someone that coined it, which is spend ten hours using a platform, and then produce ten pieces of content. However. When you use the platform to market your products, so you're using it as a user, you need to be asking yourself, you're on TikTok, let's say, you're scrolling through TikTok and like, how do you become a, how do you make viral videos? What you do is you start to look for patterns and that pattern might be, so you need to be asking yourself, Why am I interested in this content? At what point did I lose interest? Why don't I just skip past that one immediately? What was it about that made me skip past? Why? And don't just ask yourself, why is this good? Or why did this one work? Ask why things are bad. When you see, when people see trends, they see trending things like, oh, I should copy this. Don't just look at that one good one. Go into the sound and look at all the people that have replicated it, but did it poorly. And be like, why are these not good? What is it about this that's not good? Like, why hasn't this? And you will start to realize because, like, the crazy thing about uh, TikTok in particular and the way that reels works is it is not about how many followers you have. It literally is the quality of the item. And it's like you, whilst you might get a small amount of views from your following, it's tiny. We're talking like point 0.1% of people will who mm-hmm. follow you will see your stuff. Most of the people are people that don't know you that have never seen your stuff before so it's like asking yourself all these questions and being really conscious why did I you know like uh, on Facebook like why did I stop at this post what were the actions what did I do did I immediately go to the comments did I skip to the end did I stop did I just was not interested ask yourself start noting them down create data sets like what is it how is it filmed what's the lighting what are the techniques what are they saying how are they what kind of music are they using and what happens is you do that even just for 10 hours you start to see a pattern and that pattern obviously constantly changes every week every month it's a little different but you'll get the flavor of how these things are meant to be and in doing that and then producing your own content to test your theories and you do get better over time so marketing in itself really is just getting the message out there there's like several different aspects of it but number one is just viewers like just having attention of some form like having people see what you're working on so that one part then there's like the branding aspect which isn't like you sending a message but what people think of you so what is the consistent personification of who you are and who you're talking to and all of those aspects the truth is that all of this stuff can be learned online there's not any of this that can be that you really have to get formal education in anymore and even when you do get formal education it moves at a shockingly fast pace and i think that it's frustrating for public people that have spent loads of time learning this stuff only to get out into the real world to realize that things have moved on since they've even started.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, yeah, I guess what I mean is that everybody that I've spoken to so far has some kind of commercial background in the sense mm. that I guess when you work for bigger companies that, that have developed a process for getting these things out there, for launching things, for,
1: right. 100%. for
0: then you realize that Okay, there's a process behind this. Yeah. It's not magic. And you've just described, for example, a process, you know, of just getting to understand TikTok, for example. You also went on to talk about brands and you actually preempted my next question because um, yeah, it's great. Before it's you great go to the you... next
1: question. I think you are right. And actually, one of the most important things I ever did was become a DJ because you have to. Like promote yourself, and you have to promote your work, and you have to put on events, and you have to get people excited about stuff. And also with video games, you have to build up this excitement for launch. I believe that part of the reason why I'm successful as an artist is because I avoided it for so long. And I went into, I'm going to call it the real world, so mm. but I went into the non artist realm to take stock but I think that whilst that's obviously very good and I actually think that it's beneficial for everyone to have experience outside of artwork in either something that is manufacturing or selling or like offering a product where there is like sales and marketing involved like I think it's just so important however you can get some of that experience without being in those specific realms but you have to be relentlessly curious and you have to be willing to just consume a lot of information in the form of tutorials and stuff and just be willing to trial and error those things for sure but yeah honestly being not being an artist was the biggest most important thing about becoming an artist
0: (laughs) definitely yeah I think I, I think that even if you haven't had that commercial background I think the realization that it's you actually have to do some learning it's like you might think that putting your work out there is just a kind of skill maybe it's a talent right but it's actually something you develop it's something that that comes with systematically going and reading as much or listening to as much, and then doing it and trying it and experimenting
1: there was this one moment that was like a really pivotal moment for me because i had this grown up with this idea of you've got to be successful and artist fellows and all this kind of stuff and the moment and it's amazing because like when i started i did this first kickstarter at the end of it I was like super like I was wildly successful and I was like, oh crap, I guess I'm an artist now. And I did this thing. I went to YouTube and I t- tapped in what do artists do all day. And there is a BBC documentary about it. And oh, yeah. I highly recommend go watch the documentary. And there was this pivotal moment. They were interviewing Tracy Emin, which for anyone who doesn't know is part of the YBA's uh, a phenomenal artist. And there was a moment. And she looked down the barrel of the camera and I'm misquoting it entirely because it's just a, a distant memory now. But she said something like this. Some people think that all an artist is someone that paints all day. But here I am next to in front of my East London studio and it's five stories. There's one story for legal and accounting. There's one story for international events and coordination. There's one story for reproduction and printing. There's one story for distribution and like frame manufacturing or like storage. And then I have my art studio. And she was like, to produce an operation of this scale, I have to have a team of X amount of people. And the penny just dropped. I was like, I've been thinking about this all wrong. I have literally just been thinking, the, this whole thing of what a successful artist is just this thing, which is I can draw and have message. But actually, being able to draw and have a message is all well and good. And people should do that if that's all that they want to do. And they don't want to be a commercial success and they're happy spending their years doing other things other than the art that they're passionate about. But if you want to be successful, the rest of it, which is the business of art, and honestly, for me, the business side of art running is an artwork in itself. The marketing, the understanding the legal, understanding the finance, understanding like how to put on events, how to manufacture or how to leverage services that manufacture or how to do global logistics. Otherwise, you will be the very best artist confined to your own studio for no one to ever really see that what you're doing is there.
0: Yeah. And I think I think it's really interesting when yeah when I know this series actually one of our clients was on it well Wallace but Oh wow. Yeah. So I know this series and it's fantastic because you I think that a lot of people don't realize that there is
1: a lot there's so much
0: more to it. There's so mm-hmm. much more to getting your work out there. And I guess even probably there's more to it than there was to for getting started than there was for Tracy Emin because she had I think she was in Sensations and then was repped by probably White Cube or someone like from early on. But I think a lot of people that are now starting out are looking down the social media route and selling their own direct to their own audience. And so that initial kind of like traction that they have to get has to actually come from them and not from a gallerist that's pushing it and doing it for them so I think there's even I think that a lot of people probably fall at that very first hurdle because they just put it out there and it just flies and it just doesn't it doesn't work like that
1: does it no you have to bring the people to it's not you build it and they will come you build it and then you have to tell people to come and I think the very first step is like the four f's is it Friends, or three Fs, the friends, the family and anyone foolish enough to be within five feet of you, right, is who you sell to. That is your audience. You know, when you're starting and you're beginning. And I know that some people are in way more privileged positions where they are surrounded by affluence, and that will be a lot easier. But regardless, the beautiful thing about online is you can put your artwork in front of millions and millions of people for free all you have to do is learn how to use the platform effectively. And if your, pro- if your things aren't doing well, it's because you aren't using it effectively. And that's just a horrible truth. You might think that video or that post is amazing, groundbreaking. It's not. If it's not doing really well, that's why. Surely it might sometimes take, there is a bit of like luck involved. So sometimes posts will do better than others, but skill trumps all. And if you're producing consistently good like online content. And I mean, I know, like sometimes it's, wow, the video took longer than the art piece.
0: Okay, let's pause there for a few seconds. I hope you're enjoying the talk. Please may I ask for you to just do two things right now. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet and take the link and send this to one person who you think might benefit from all these fantastic marketing ideas. Thanks a lot.
1: But the art piece exists to communicate the message. It's not about the making a wall decoration so part of getting that message out is the marketing that's part of sharing the most important aspect of what you're doing
0: Mm. and you might be in danger if you fall at that marketing hurdle
1: Mm.
0: of thinking it's your work and you might think just no one wants to see my work and I guess that's a possibility and maybe you do have to go back and think about the work you're making maybe you could get some advice from people on that but I'd imagine a large proportion of people, the work isn't the issue. It's actually it's never just... the work. Yeah, It's
1: never the work. Here's the thing. Marth Rothko, God bless him, was all, who just made blocks of colour. <laughs> they sell for millions and millions and millions of doll- dollars. Like, he's one of the most wildly successful artists. And of course, there's probably a fair amount of nepotism and luck and all of that kind of stuff involving themselves in the right circles. But they're just blocks of colour. Now, that is obviously very demeaning because he was very fascinated by layers of transparent colours and he wanted to produce colours that were so emotional that it made people cry. But ultimately, the what they're looking at is the craft, right, which is separate from the art. Some people say, oh, my craft, my skill execution is not good enough. That's why people aren't buying it. It's not that. You can make a block of colour and you can sell it for millions of dollars. Why aren't you so... Don't worry about the craft. The craft will evolve, of course. There'll be times when you are more confident. And it is frustrating at the beginning when in your head you have a, this is what I want to make and the, what results is mm, it's not quite there. You'll have that. But stop looking at it as a mistake and start thinking about it as a, what did I learn from this one piece? And then what happens is like we would all die to have an early Picasso sketch where he's trying to figure stuff out. What an amazing aspect of an artist's journey. Like wow, I had one of the first things. He hadn't quite figured this stuff out. You can see where he made mistakes. Isn't this wonderful? It's a piece of history. We're making pieces of history. Even the mistakes are the most important thing. Like every painting I look at, my early stuff that was. was It was a step to becoming where I am. People that own those really important as pieces. Like even when now when I do a piece that's not great, like sometimes I just but like what did I learn from this someone can be an owner of that step in my progress it's amazing
0: I was going to talk ask quickly about brands because you mentioned about brands and the podcast I did last week it came up as well about this concept of brand as an artist is that a conscious process like in a sense of You think about ideas, but then you think about how those ideas might fit into your brand or not, and you maybe adapt them so they do, or is that something that just emerges in retrospect?
1: It's an interesting question, but ultimately I would say that artwork is... So someone said this really amazing line to me when I started, which is every single artwork you make is a self-portrait it's a self portrait not of your face but of your interests your passion who you are ultimately the brand of being an artist you are the brand there is no separation between who the human is and what the artwork is it's the same and that can be hard right because in some cases i like at the beginning i was like oh man i need to be like pretend to be like so much more sophisticated than i am so that i'm taken seriously But that's just not who I am. I'm a bit of a nerd and I'm a bit all over the place. And that actually doesn't stop me from where I need to go. But ultimately, I think what's more important is honing your why understanding why that's important to other people and often it's like asking people like you're producing all this artwork and you know why you're doing it but why are other people loving it for me when i put out this artwork i just got the same thing over and over again i'm stressed i'm overwhelmed life is really heavy right now when i look at space whilst it doesn't fix those issues it puts everything into perspective i get that moment of relief that moment of release or whatever it is. And that there's this concept that nature is very just, it's visually relaxing. You walk in a forest, you look at a sunset, beautifully relaxing, and it's just built into our DNA, really. The human aspect of it. And people are living in these concrete jungles and not around any nature and stuff. And like looking for them, looking at space, it's like taking a stroll on the beach at sunset but on steroids, because for them, it's, wow, it's, like, beautiful, but then, like, the concept of it's so massive. When I realised that, and I realised that through asking people, so it did naturally emerge for me, you know, that people could carefully craft something, but the brand of your art is you, and you have to live it every day. So if it isn't authentic to you, it is very hard to peddle something that you're you're not in your soul. So I would say it's more likely to be emergent, However, there's nothing wrong with trying a few things out to see if it fits you. Because sometimes you don't know the right direction. So it's worth trying things out. I tried to be this like very serious brand and I realised it's just not me. But I wouldn't have known that without trying.
0: And as you evolve, because you do evolve uh, as an artist, are you conscious of your history and the works you've made already in terms of what you're known for and that's you, you does the brand become something that kind of restricts you a little bit or, you can, or, or can you just experiment wildly
1: you can do I always say you really need to find a niche that's an inch wide and a mile deep for me space is so massive not physic, not just like it's physically massive but as a niche it's like there's so much involved with that kind of aspect of it so there's everything from the science of all the way through to the visual aspect to taking photographs of it to painting it to learning how to process it to like even doing the mathematical aspects so it's but here's the thing right the reason why and I relate this back to music right would you like a band if every time they put out something it's just so wildly different and Mm. it's like you don't because like also, like we like to curate what's around us, humans do because everything is again so overwhelming. Your newsfeed on your phone or your like whatever, or you pay. It's like the things that is shown to you are the things that you really actually love. And when you get lots of stuff that you don't like, you're like, "How am I on this app for? Or <laughs> why am I in this?" So when you go, let's say for Instagram, let's say you see a thick post that you really love from someone and you click it, and it's a post of, let's say, it's a mountainscape right? Lovely mountainscape. Wow, you're really into it. You click on it, but then it's interspersed with like shitty photos of food, right? It's interspersed with all of this stuff that's just totally irrelevant. You're like, I am not going to follow this person because yeah, whilst this one or two random pieces are great, I'm now going to have to trudge and scroll through hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of stuff i could not care less i have this tiny period of spare time to enjoy myself on this app or on this whatever i don't want to fill it with garbage that i'm not bothered about we when you think about a music like a band They have a style, right? And you go to them for that style. And if you Mm -hmm. want something different, you go somewhere else. There's nothing wrong. And musicians do it all the time. They have have Snoop Dogg and then Snoop Lion that does the reggae stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with you creating two. And of course, yeah, the energy and time and keeping two things alive. But you are going to be infinitely more successful unless the specific thing really meshes super well in in a sense of, like for me, if I did space paintings and astrophotography, those two things sit together really well. But if I was to do let's say paintings of space, and then let's say paintings of still life, no one who loves this picture of space will give a crap about a boring bowl of fruit. they just don't care about it. They're gonna be considering, should I even bother following this? I'm gonna to have to and even now I have people that tag me in post and post I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful space painting. But the whole feed is like a jumble sale of crap I'm not interested in. So I'm not going to follow them. So I think that being concise with who you are is important. There's nothing wrong with having more than one persona. Just keep them separate because then it
0: stops people from being confused. That's absolutely amazing advice. So we've got time for one more question. Absolutely. Which is if someone was starting out right now, so they've Mm -hmm. got zero following and they're starting out with their art career, and they wanted to emulate what you've done and create a sustainable career whilst having the freedom to pursue the art that they want to pursue. What's sort the of two or three pieces of advice would you give them?
1: Firstly, it's like figuring out what your art stands for and what you like to produce and pick something that you're it's not just like a fleeting Love. It's something that's like you're just super fascinated with and you're willing to put in. Because like the reason why I've been successful is because I've been con- that and I am the least consistent person in reality because I'm so ADHD. But find the burning desire that is just it's been with you for years. It's been the thing that you've been fascinated about. I put aside all that concept of space when I was like getting a real job and stuff. I forgot about all that stuff. Going through the world and you can start off by making little bits and bobs of different things, but find the thing as quickly as you can. that is the thing that you're just like, this is it. And And hey, sometimes you will settle on something and it's not the right thing. That's okay. Just pick something, right? And then start to think about why is it that this is important to me? And even ask other people, what is it about this piece that you love? And start to use that information to start crafting your why. That, starting with why book by Simon Sinek, i probably butchered his name, is amazing. It's a great start. Get the audio book, listen to it as you're painting, consider all of those things. There's also like other online courses that help you craft your why as an artist as well. There's a course called Making Art, Making Money that I think is really good for that as well. So start with having a vibe and of course again as you start you can have more than one channel you don't have to keep them just but keep it uniform on whatever it is so number two is you need to gain attention right and that attention is and there are viral mechanics to all of these different platforms now it's the 10 10 rule 10 hours of super conscious observation take notes start to Find patterns in what's happening and then start to produce these 10 pieces of content to practice and to hone and ask yourself what worked and what didn't work, right? So you've started off with you've got a vibe, right? Then you've got you're starting to understand the process. And then the third thing is produce a project, a body of work, right? But the body of work isn't like just a lifetime's of work. It's produce, try to aim to produce, let's say, eight pieces. In a consistent theme that you can launch into a thing and set yourself a beautiful goal. It does not have to be, I'm going to make a million dollars. It could just be, I want to get my friends drunk, or I want to have an exhibition, or I want to use this money and I'm going to give something to charity. I really want to help this person out. Make it something that it's like the thing that you're like, I would love to do that. It didn't work out. It's okay. I've got a friend who just said they set a goal because they want to give like an art grant. To other artists, in particular artists who are marginalized or people who are like from a less affluent background. And the beautiful thing about that is that art grant could be $50 or it could be $5,000. There is no failure point. So instead of thinking about like, am I going to fail on this? You're thinking about just how much am I going to succeed? Mm. And that's all that matters, right? And then just create. And then probably the fourth thing is the most important, really, is creating the habit. Now for me to produce my very first Kickstarter, it was the habit of four hours every weekend for six months. That's all it took to produce all of those artworks. And because I was working full time as a cleaner at that point and doing all this other stuff, but you would be surprised four hours a week for six months is enough to produce a body of work. If you're like working a full time job or you've got all this thing, people do, they have responsibilities, they've got kids, they've got families, but most people can produce four hours and that doesn't have to be all in one night, but I think that maybe two hours and two hours, if it must be or whatever, is manageable for most people. Of course, do more or do less is fine, but always just try to do that tiny amount every week and you'll start to firstly build the discipline of actually doing it every week and being consistent. You'll find that by the time you come to it, you've got this matching body of work and that is the perfect point to start offering your work. It doesn't have to be necessarily through a store, but you can do it that way. Take photographs of your artwork and you can set up your first store from that. And it's amazing. You can upload your artwork, obviously, to print like the Creative Hub and get it printed and shipped for you. And the beautiful thing about that I like is that it allows you to offer things at a probably a more reasonable price than what a, an original artwork should be paid. So a lot of those original artworks, like, original artwork is a luxury item. Even when you're starting out, still a luxury artwork and i always say like when you're doing your first campaign do not worry about the piece of selling i know that sounds counterintuitive but realistically you don't want to sell those in some ways. still offer them but the reason being is like i've kept some of my very first artworks i am now like climbing to success building a six and seven gig business annually right and i'm able to now put on exhibitions if i wanted to do a private exhibition that involves like a piece from every year of my career. I'm like able to say, this is the first piece I ever painted. And here's the pieces I'm painting now. That contrast is mind blowing. Don't worry if you don't sell those first few pieces, because when you're big and successful, you're going to be able to say, Hey, look, this is where I came from. And that's, so that's what I would do. I, but it's like a chain link, right? Or if any one of those links is broken, the whole process doesn't work. If you, your first link, which is your pur- your purpose or your aesthetic, isn't defined. It's very hard to get people that are really into it. People aren't really just into random shit. They're into something. And also being able to speak about your meth- message and ethos and why you really love this aspect and having that as consistent. Like you could, for instance, be just like, there's a lot of people that do this hyper-realistic pencil drawings, right? Now, you could do hyper-realistic pencil drawings of lots of different things, but you have a very consistent message. That consistent message is human ability is amazing and it's just phenomenal that a human could produce something like this. A reminder for you that it just takes dedication and practice and anyone really can do this with the consistent effort. You know, so you could have that as a consistent aspect of your messaging, or you could have someone that is really focused on, they just love geology and they just love producing crystals, whatever that is. And they produce all this crystal based artwork, right? And they have a consistent message and a consistent thing, whatever it is, just offer something with some level of consistency, right? That's Mm. the first link. The second link is attention. So understanding how the platforms work, how to bring people in, how to share your message, The third thing is creating the consistency to work. You only need six months and four hours a week. It doesn't need to be a lot. That's enough to produce your first body of work. And then the last thing is start offering it, produce a project, do a build up, get people excited about it. And yeah, you can upload your stuff and it can ship for you. It's it's amazing. I wish I had that when I started because it was all like, honestly, that bit could have I feel like that bit would have been so helpful. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's <laughs> nice, nice of you to uh, say that as well about us. And that is absolutely brilliant advice. It's, it's. It, I think that's that breaks it down into sort of steps, doesn't it? And it breaks it down into steps that people can follow and just do it one thing at a time and make sure you do each step right. And mm-hmm. and then at the end of it, you'll be in a much much better place and. Than than when you started. And look, Kat, this has been really fascinating talk. I've learned a lot myself and I'm sure everybody listening will have learned a lot as well. So I really appreciate the time that you've taken today to, to give us your thoughts.
1: Thank you so much. And I also on the side have my own podcast, but it's specifically about art business. And it's called Art Wisdom. And I actually break down the steps to launching your own print store as an episode. And even it's got other things like how to find your purpose and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's something that would be really beneficial if people like want to know detail, more detail, intricate steps on those things. But yeah, I just want people to do well, man. I think if everyone can do the thing that they're passionate about, the world will be so much happier and more fulfilled.
0: Definitely, definitely. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks for your time today, Kat. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> I hope you agree that Kat's insights have been valuable. I certainly know they were for me, and in running the print space, we listen to these podcasts ourselves and learn how to market our own business. So if it has been valuable, please take this link and send it to at least one person who you think might benefit. And of course, make sure to subscribe yourself and sign up to our newsletter so you hear about all the new podcasts as soon as they come out.